one of the most common questions I get is, should I be stretching? So on this episode of the Concast, we're going to talk about it. everybody. My name is Connor Collins. I am a registered massage therapist and a sports injury therapist practicing 45 minutes outside of Toronto, Ontario in Canada. And this is episode 25 of the Concast where we talk about all things exercise, injury, lifestyle. And for today's episode, I would like to touch on a topic that's very, very popular in the health, wellness, fitness, injury prevention, performance industry, and that is the concept of stretching and what stretching is, what we think stretching is doing versus what stretching may actually be doing. Very, very popular topic. And so let's dive right into it. When you try and define stretching, I mean, it can often be even difficult to define. If, if you were to just look at the common term of the definition of stretching, it would be attempting to separate something or move two fixed points apart from each other. And I think we've taken this common definition and applied it to the human body. And so the thought is that often when we're stretching something, we're lengthening it or we're changing the resting length of, you know, most often we think about a tissue, like a particular muscle. And I think when we try and apply the common definition or term of stretching to the human body, that's where we lose maybe the understanding of what might be going on and allow us to understand what might be appropriate for certain scenarios or what might be appropriate for a certain individual if I'm dealing with an injury myself and attempting to stretch a particular muscle. When we look at the two major subsets of stretching that are often most commonly argued. We look at active stretching or passive stretching. Passive stretching would be holding a particular position, either with assistance or without assistance for a sustained period of time. So I might bend forward at the hip to quote unquote stretch my hamstring, the back upper aspect of my leg, And I might hold that position for anywhere from 15 seconds to two minutes to five minutes, really depending upon what that person has told me or what literature or what Google search I've done to seek that out. And that's one of the other things is that how long should we even hold stretches for is a very commonly argued aspect of stretching in and of itself. So passive stretching, you're holding that position or you can have an assisted aspect to where someone's stretching you out. So you're lying on your back in the same example to get your hamstring stretched and someone is bringing your straight leg or slightly bent leg, bringing your your foot towards your ear essentially for a sustained period of time. We then have active stretching. Active stretching is you are moving through range of motion yourself actively in part to incorporate all aspects of the the body, the nervous system, the joints, 
But predominantly, the thought behind active stretching is because you're incorporating the nervous system, there are a few potential additional benefits with less negative consequences that we might see with respect to static stretching and performance. So we have our both our active and our passive stretching. And the common question that you get is, when should you do one over the other? So if we look at passive stretching first, and we try to examine some of the proposed benefits of passive stretching, what are some things that we have heard or what are some things that might be loosely present in the research as to why we might do a passive stretch? The one that we see commonly is passive stretching can reduce things post-exercise like delayed onset muscle soreness. De delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS is the consequence of strenuous exercise and understanding that strenuous exercise is relative to the person that's going through it. If I'm walking up a flight of stairs, that might not be strenuous for me, but for someone else that's just getting back into exercise, that may be strenuous for them. So doing a passive stretching routine after strenuous exercise, the claims are that this will have a reduction in muscle soreness over time. The second is passive stretching will reduce the experience of pain. And then lastly, the third being passive stretching affects range of motion. I think before we, we discuss whether this is true or untrue, we have to understand that things like delayed onset muscle soreness, so the amount of muscle soreness that I experience following a particular activity, Firstly, that is an incredibly complex experience, not only related to the soft tissue, but also related to our general health profile. So how good of shape we are in, our hydration on that particular day, our management of stress and nutrition on that particular day, where we're at in a performance cycle, a weight loss cycle, a life cycle. Do we consume alcohol? Do we smoke? All of these things are going to affect our physiology and the quality of the tissue in our bodies, as well as our neurology or our the resilience of our nervous systems to exercise. And these will also play a role, and I would argue a larger role, in how our bodies respond post-exercise. So to say whether or not passive stretching in isolation would reduce delayed onset muscle soreness, is quite difficult to make that claim. Now, there is certain research that will support that, and there is certain research to refute that. So really, there isn't a true response as to whether passive stretching would truly delay muscle soreness from exercise. The second argument, does passive stretching reduce pain? Well, again, pain is a very complex experience, and I think that we will talk in a moment about some of the different kinds of pain or pain experiences and why passive stretching may reduce that painful experience for the patient in certain circumstances. Range of motion. It does appear that passive stretching does create an immediate increase in range of motion. 
but so does active stretching. The question becomes is under what circumstances are we trying to increase range of motion and what is the goal behind that increase in range of motion? Why is that important for us, of which we'll talk about, and is that really what we're even trying to achieve, an increase in range of motion? So those are the proposed positive benefits of passive stretching. If we now look at some of the proposed negative consequences of passive stretching. So one is performance, especially in high-level athletics, pre-event. So if we were to passively stretch tissue, and the research is fairly strong on this, that if you're passively stretched tissue prior to activity, you're losing some force production. Either, you know, one could argue in that particular muscle, but I think it's more just in the neurological pattern that you're going through. So if we look at the example of stretching the hamstring, again, the back of the leg, what are those muscles involved in to some degree? They help flex your knee and they help extend your hip. And rather than saying the stretch is going to reduce the power within that hamstring, we might want to say the stretch might reduce the power in the range of motion that the hamstrings help contribute to. So maybe knee flexion and hip extension. These are movements that help contribute to things like pushing through the hip, running, jumping, etc. So we could see how stretching that muscle might reduce force production. The second is looking at and understanding the potential tissues that are implicated in a passive stretch. And I think the common thought is that when we are stretching something, we're only stretching a muscle. And what we have to understand is that there are plenty of other structures that are under, under tension, are changing in pressure during a stretching routine. And one of those is the requirement of our neurological tissues in our body to move as we move the soft tissue at the same time. And one of the, the thoughts in the therapy industry is that these tissues we would like to move independently of each other. And this is known as interlayer gliding. So the example, going back to the hamstring, is we have our big sciatic nerve in our hamstring that's about the width of your own thumb. And so when we're moving the hamstring through a range of motion, that nerve is going to glide. Now it's going to glide into the range of motion that we're moving through, but then we also want this independent glide between the sciatic nerve and the tissue within the body. So the sciatic nerve and the hamstring in this instance, and or the fat that's around the hamstring, the fascia or the connective tissue, any of the ligaments in that area of the body, as well as the bone, the femur bone. So we would like to have this, this very fluid dynamic movement between all of the tissue. Now sometimes, especially in an injured individual, that's not always the case. There can be a little bit of stickiness within that range of motion that we're attempting to move through. And if we're holding sustained stretches for a long period of time, then we can create low oxygen environments in the surrounding tissue, in particular that neurological tissue. So we can create a low amount of oxygen in, in the nerve. 
And what that can do is that can increase the potential for an increase in painful experience. It can create environments in the nerve that can cause micro injury. It can actually increase someone's experience of pain over time. It can decrease performance and it can lead to a lengthier recovery. And so what we really want to understand is are there potentially better ways of of doing this and resolving whatever aspect of the injury that that particular person or myself has through different methods and means. When we look at things like an acute injury, the argument becomes, especially an acute muscular injury, so we we strain a muscle or we tear it, should we stretch it? And many people will say don't stretch it in the acute phase because if you tear a muscle, then statically stretching it and kind of pushing beyond a boundary that is comfortable might actually cause that muscle to tear more. Now, I don't necessarily have a true opinion on that, but there is also some interesting research. Helen Langevin being one of the prominent researchers on looking at acute passive stretching in animal models during that phase of a muscular injury. So you you tear a muscle acutely and then you put the animal in a sustained stretched position for a long period of time. And what she noticed in her research was that the inflammatory markers in the local tissue would start to drop or decrease. Now, that raises a few questions and is kind of counterproductive to the majority of the communication around passive stretching with acute injuries. Most people would suggest that if you injure a muscle acutely, you shouldn't passively stretch it. Again, a reminder that passive stretching is holding the stretch for a long period of time. However, if there's some loose research on passive stretching reducing inflammation in the area, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Most people would say, well, that's a good thing because inflammation is bad. What we have to also understand is the inflammatory process is something that we need in the body to promote healing and is in fact part of a normal healing cycle. So if we rapidly reduce the inflammatory response too early, could we have negative consequences from that? Now, I don't have the answer there. These are just questions that I ask myself. So from my understanding, the inflammatory response to me is something that's important for repair to occur. Is there even an ability for me to actually control it through some of these methods or means? I don't really know, but this is an interesting thought that surrounds passive stretching currently. So negative consequences, just to review, are performance, which we do have quite a bit of research to support the negative consequence to passive stretching and performance. The thought that it may potentially lead to an increase in symptoms if the true nature of that person's experience isn't just soft tissue, which it often isn't. So things like nerves, fat, fascia, bone is all involved in the, the pain experience or the injury experience. And then lastly, what would we do in an acute muscular injury? So next, let's talk about active stretching. So active stretching is that stretching that you as the person that's stretching is taking yourself through that range of motion, 
and you're not holding it at the end passively. So I might, again, let's use the hamstring as an example, lie on my back and do a straight leg raise actively and actively kick my leg up with the goal of with each repetition, I'm able to move a little bit further into that range of motion. So some of the proposed benefits of active stretching include improving range of motion, improving neurological recruitment, so the ability of the body to get familiar with a pattern before I do something. So again, if we look at performance, if I'm going through an active stretching routine and I'm actively recruiting my nervous system, the thought is that the brain and the spinal cord and the the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, all the nerves that feed the limbs, are in close unison and are prepared for activity. And that preparation, along with the mental preparation that can go along with this activity, will help improve my sports or improve my activity that I'm about to do. So a decrease in pain is also one of the proposed benefits. And as a result of it being active, one of the proposed benefits is an improvement in performance. Now again, performance is very similar to delayed onset muscle soreness. Performance is a combination of mental preparation, nutrition, hydration, rest, the workout routine or the workout plan that you've been on. If you're an elite level athlete, how long have you been training your full training cycle? Is this a competition that's a preparatory competition for you versus a huge event like the Olympics, for example. So there are a number of things that go into performance, uh, but one of the proposed benefits of active stretching, because it doesn't have the negative consequences of decreasing muscle power or maximal power output, is that it will increase performance. Now, based on the research that I've read, I would lend towards active stretching before an event, especially because of the preparatory nature of it and the fact that you are mentally preparing the body for an activity that is more similar to what you are about to do than if you were to passively stretch. So if you are a runner, for example, and you're going through some high knee routines or some active straight leg raise kicks or you're doing some calf raises, for example, the carryover for that into running has more utility than if you were to do a passive stretch pre-competition. And the reason that I like to promote active stretching before a competition is really for that mental preparatory routine that you're getting yourself into to get ready to perform. And so for me, there's almost more of a sports psychology element to it than the actual examination of, is this truly doing anything with respect to performance? Now, the other piece to that is when I was talking about passive stretching previously and its potential negative consequences on maximal power and output, especially the longer you stretch, then I don't want to potentially risk that with myself or with an athlete. So from what I understand, there's a lot of complication with, with active and passive stretching. And a lot of this has to do with how do you understand really stretching at all? When patients come into my clinic, the common understanding of stretching is from a soft tissue modeled approach where they will say, 
when I stretch X, I'm creating length through it. It's not creating a measurable change in length. For example, my hamstring isn't getting longer by two centimeters if I were to measure it from its origin to its insertion. When we look at stretching, especially when we look at stretching that is creating almost immediate change in the body, these changes are coming from neurological mechanisms. There are two primary neurological mechanisms. We've got our muscle spindle, and the muscle spindles are little receptors within the muscle that look at how, when a muscle's going from a short position to a longer position, how quickly is it doing that? And it's changing the tone within that muscle and adapting accordingly. We also have a Golgi tendon organ, and these are little receptors within our tendons. They cause muscle change with respect to how much tension is in the tendon. And tension can be caused by the muscle going through a lengthening position. So when the joints causing the muscle to go from a really, really shortened position to a really, really long position, but it's also creating a response when a muscle is contracting. So when a muscle is contracting very, very forcefully and pulling off the bone, the Golgi tendon organ is responsible for reducing tone within that muscle. So when we look at stretching and what might be causing immediate changes in stretching, there are a few. Firstly can be pressure change within tissue. So as we stretch, whether we're stretching actively or passively, we're changing things like blood flow through tissue. We're changing things like hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a lubricant that is between the layers of tissue in the body. And this pressure change and glide can create an increase in warmth of the tissue, make the tissue a little bit more pliable, and improve comfort of the person that's either experiencing the stretch or going through the stretching routine. The second is the mobility of the nerves through the tissue. So before when we talked about the negative consequences of passive stretching and holding a stretch, the reason why that might be negative is the nerves in the area are on stretch at the same time and that reduces the amount of oxygen in the nerve which can lead to negative consequence over time. If you're actively stretching, you're almost flossing the nerve through the tissue and that flossing action can bring good nutrients into the areas of the nerve and help improve overall mobility and potentially performance and pain experience as well. We also have to understand that Stretching just isn't about the local makeup of the tissue. So, for example, the brain has a lot of oversight into what's going on with stretching. So there's, there's an area of the brain known as the hypothalamus, and one of the roles of the hypothalamus is to reduce tone in tissue. So the hypothalamus is also responsible for communicating to different areas of the brain and as we know, if people are really, really apprehensive in an injured state, then that will increase their pain almost immediately. So it's incredibly complex. We need a fine dance between pressure change, neurological movement, and the person's ability to be aware as to whether or not they're apprehensive and whether they can drop their stress response to have the positive benefits of stretching. If someone is really, really apprehensive and really, really nervous and they're going to perform these stretches and almost immediately they're 
increasing their pain and they're becoming really, really apprehensive, then maybe those, that stretching routine is simply not for them based on where they're at in their current pain experience or injury cycle. So really what it boils down to is stretching is much more than simply this concept of I'm creating a resting change in length of tissue, which you're not doing. You're not increasing the length of your hamstring by one centimeter. What you're doing is you're providing feedback and information into the nervous system and the peripheral nervous system or the nerves that feed the leg and the arms are interacting with your central nervous system, the brain and your spinal cord based on a number of different things with respect to your anatomy, where you're at in your injury cycle, as well as how confident you are in your ability to stretch. And then with all of that information, you're either seeing some positive benefits or some negative side effects of stretching. So the last big question to answer is what stretches should I do or what stretches should I give my patients if I am a practitioner? This is probably the most common question that I'm asked or one of the most common questions that I'm asked on a daily or weekly basis. First, what we have to determine is, is stretching for you? And that's based on a number of different things. And I think that if you don't have a medical background, you'd be doing yourself a favor by seeking someone out that can give you stretches that are going to help contribute to your goal. See, one of the common themes, especially with back pain, is people will Google stretches for back pain or stretches for tight hamstrings and that will further get them to stretch their hamstrings. One of the really interesting things that we need to understand is the feeling of tightness in the body is often an experience of weakness or a lack of the ability of the body to produce strength, stiffness, or motor control, essentially being coordination. So if we go back to our hamstring example, and we say, I'm, my hamstrings are tight, quote unquote. Often the experience of tightness is a warning signal from your nervous system because it does not feel like it is strong or stable enough to support you. And this is often coming from a joint or joint segments above the hamstring. So if we look at this example, the hip, the hip might be lacking some control. It might be lacking some strength or even the trunk on that side might be lacking the ability to produce stiffness in certain ranges of motion. As a result of that, the brain says, look, Connor, there's something going on with your right hip and I need to send you a warning signal. So I'm gonna really tighten up the muscles around the area for you to create some stability in the meantime. But because I'm creating this stability, I'm gonna send you a warning signal of some tightness and some pain as well so you do something about this. And what I might do is I might Google hamstring tightness and then start stretching my hamstrings. But the brain says, no, Connor, I'm not, I don't need you to stretch. I want you to strengthen. So after you stretch, Connor, I'm going to increase your symptoms and I'm going to make you more tight. And over the next three or four days, you get tighter and tighter and tighter. And your response to that is, oh, I need to stretch. Why am I feeling so tight? And it's not that you actually need to stretch, it's that you need to strengthen or you need to create some stiffness or you need to improve a particular movement pattern. And when you do this, the body says, thank you, Connor, finally, you've given me what I need. Now I'm going to take away this feeling of tightness that you're experiencing in your hamstring. 
So really the question becomes, it's not what stretches should I do, it's should stretches even be part of my routine, whether that's a strengthening routine, whether that's an exercise routine, and if so, what stretches will best help contribute to my overall goal? And that is very specific to the person. Sometimes it might be the use of static stretching to change a person's pain experience. Static stretching is still something that can be used as part of a plan to reduce pain. And someone may argue, well, static stretching doesn't work. Active stretching is superior. Well, if someone can't actually move their limb through range of motion because their injury is so significant or they've got a declining health profile and someone can statically stretch them and that helps alleviate their symptoms and they're getting positive results from that, then who are we to argue that static stretching is negative for that particular person? So I think in the end, what this really boils down to is having an understanding that stretching is significantly more complex than we think it is. And static and active stretching both have a utility. It just depends on what your primary goals are. And that's probably the most important thing to understand first. Are you an elite level athlete? Is pain the thing that's debilitating you the most? Are you a individual working on an industrial line? What is it that you do that is most aggravating for the condition or injury that you're experiencing currently? And then where does stretching fit into a very comprehensive routine of injury management? Stretching in and of itself is unlikely in isolation to be the only thing that you need. So this is why I always encourage people without a background to get an individual that's well experienced in managing injuries to help take you through this. So I think my conclusion from what I've read is I do believe that active and passive stretching have their place. I believe that pre-performance active stretching is superior to passive stretching. Outside of that, I do believe that passive stretching can reduce painful experiences for people and improve function and improve people's level of comfort as they experience an injury. It really just depends on the person whether or not I'm providing active versus passive stretches for them. And I'm never providing that as the sole intervention that I am giving the patient. It really depends on level function, health profile, age, a multitude of factors. So my question for you is, What are your thoughts on stretching passive versus active? Do you think one is more beneficial overall? Do you not? Let me know in the comments. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be valuable. If you have, feel free to like, share, comment below. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you in the next one.